Hello and uh, welcome to Couch Talk. Today's guest is a man that has worn many colors for Victoria, for Australia, for Netherlands, for Delhi, for Highfelt, and more recently, the Royal Challengers Bangalore, the accidental cricketer, Dirk Nanas himself. Welcome to the show, Dirk. A nice little brief, isn't it? Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Your background, it's a quite well-known story, very accomplished skier, Dutch parents, and self-confessed uh, accidental cricketer. You made a debut, uh, first-class debut for Victoria around the age when generally people usually, uh, if they're fast bowlers, you know, they're leaving the game. What really made you get into cricket? Oh, well, I'd always kind of played when I was a kid, um, all through juniors, but I was always rubbish. I was in third and stuff like that. And... Yeah, and then I got into skiing full-time, so I was always away. In the, in the summer months, I was always away in the northern winter, so I never really got a chance to play much cricket. Um, so I'd always kind of played cricket, but I never actually played it very seriously. I never played representative cricket or anything like that. I never, you know, I was never any good. I was always slow. I could bowl a tennis ball fast at school, but that was about it. I never kind of uh, put that into action with an actual cricket ball. So... Never really bowled fast, and it was really only sort of mid twenties where I finally actually started bowling fast. And uh, eventually, someone said um, I should hang around and play a year rather than go overseas, and I might play for Victoria. And the next year, I did. Uh, and sure enough, I played for Victoria, and that was kind of the start of it. And I sort of fell into it. I didn't never had these aspirations that other people have to be a cricketer. That was never that was never me. Um, I always wanted to be a skier and a musician. <laughs> That's kind of why I think people have sort of plastered me around as an accidental cricketer because I never really wanted to be one, I guess. Mm-hmm. You played uh, for Netherlands in the 2009 uh, T20 World Cup and soon after that you debuted for Australia and uh, you also went in the squad for uh, the uh, 2011 uh, uh, T20 World Cup for Australia. A lot of the listeners, regular listeners of the show, have a question regarding this shift in allegiance. How difficult was the choice to represent Netherlands in 2009 and then soon after playing for Australia? Uh, look, it was sort of the, I was a victim of circumstance, I guess, how it worked. Um, before the 2009 World Cup, they had a uh, squad of 30 uh, announced, and I knew I wasn't going to be picked in the world came to me that I wasn't going to be picked in the squad 30 for the for the um, for that World Cup, and I just felt like the age I was, I don't know what I was, 20, uh, 32, 33, something like that. I thought, geez, I'm not even in the 30 after being the leading wicket taker in Australia for the last, I don't know, like two or three years or something like that. Um, I thought, geez, they're not going to pick me now. They're never going to pick me. So I thought, well, I want to go and play in a World Cup, so. 
had the choice of going to play for Holland. They'd been uh, in touch with me a bit about it. So I thought, why not go and play in a World Cup? And that was about the time that I got picked up in the IPL as well. So mm. I went to, to the IPL in that uh, April, I think it was, and played in the IPL and, and played well. And then went to the World Cup, played two games for Holland in the World Cup. And I think a month later, I was playing for, for Australia. Um, and they're both very, very extremely different experiences. Um, so it's hard to say what I was proud of doing. Probably, you know, growing up and everything, you'd run... Certainly, you'd rather play for your home country in Australia. But, um, geez, I had such a, a good experience playing with Holland as well. I mean, that that game that we beat England at Lords, mm-hmm. um, first game of the World Cup, is still my sporting highlight of my career. Um, it's better than any other moment that I've had. Um, which seems a bit strange, I guess, but I guess it was just sort of a David and Goliath sort of moment that uh, that I played in. I was very fortunate to have done it. I'm, I'm certainly glad that I played for Holland. Um, that probably opened the door for me to play for Australia as well. If you had continued representing uh, Holland, you probably would have been in pretty much all their international fixtures. Whereas uh, once you decided to represent Australia, and uh, Jared Kimber wrote about it in 2009 as well, and like, uh, oh, really, Hilditch, you know, when you weren't even included in the 30-member squad, your opportunities were limited because, number one, uh, your age at the time, they were moving towards youth and all that. So any regrets at all, you know, like you sh- whether you should have uh, continued representing Netherlands at all? Uh, not, not really, no. Um, I mean, I've, I've been able to play on the MCG in front of 70,000, 80,000 people. Um, I went to the 2010 World Cup, I think it was, in the West Indies, where the I was Tiger in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I was leading with Tiger in the world. Um, you know, these are all things that I wouldn't have been able to do playing for the Netherlands. Um, and, yeah, so I've got absolutely no regrets of change of, of going playing for Australia. Um, so, I thought, look, I think I've made the right choices. Um, sure, I'd still love to love to be playing World Cups and stuff like that, but you know, I still feel that I had previously the year before I got dropped. I was a, um, that year I took more wickets than anyone had ever taken and still has ever taken in 2020 cricket in the calendar year. Um, and then the next game, January 6 or something, I was dropped. Um, but I think I, my dropping sort of came at the same time that Simon Caddish got dropped. Um, there was all that furor about him, so I think that was, um, you know, I was kind of glossed over, I guess, in that respect. But, um, yeah, I felt pretty hard done by when I was dropped. Jeez, what do you do? I don't pick the team. Uh, do you still hold out hope that, uh, you know, you might uh, get the chance to wear Don Australia colours? Oh, of course. Um, look, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that I'd still be picked in the 30 or at least considered for the next World Cup. Um, you know, I'm not, you don't become the leading wicket-taker in 2020 cricket around the world by being bad at it. So, um, you know, I'm still bowling quick, so I think I've still got stuff to offer. Um, so who knows? But the way their selections have gone in the last 12 months, so who knows what they're going to do. Would you be interested only, uh, you know, representing a national team only if it's for Australia or uh, even if it's uh, Holland in the upcoming uh, T20 World Cup, you wouldn't mind playing for Holland? Oh, well, I can't play for Holland again for 
two, four years or something like that, whatever the qualifying period is. I can't do that anyway. Oh, so okay. The, the rules are, yeah, I've got, got plenty of time to wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about the IPL. It's this two-month caravan grind uh, where you're crisscrossing India. And uh, we are getting a flavor of it from uh, the diaries that you're writing for uh, Crickinfo, and also the pictures that you've been uh, that have been coming up on uh, the RCB website. This grind, what kind of impact does it have on your personal life and professional life, where you're constantly packing, unpacking, moving between hotels and cities, and you know, getting into planes, getting out, and different modes of transportation, all that. From the pictures we saw, you have your family with you. A lot of the players don't. So how does it work uh, personally and professionally? I think that for someone like myself, it's it's a lot easier. Um, I've got as much normality here as I possibly could. Um, like you said, I've got my family here, but also I I'm one of the few that actually get out of the hotel. <laughs> um, seems a bit strange. I mean, I've, I've, I'm kind of fortunate in the respect that I haven't played for a while because no one, not many people recognise me. If you were a, a Chris Gale or something like that, I mean, that, that poor guy can't even leave his hotel room. Um, doesn't even go downstairs to breakfast very much because he just gets swamped. So it's, it's very different for the big-name guys, I think. But I think that's just that's not um, specific to the IPL. I think that's specific to just travelling in India, I guess, as a cricketer. Um, so you can't put that down to something that just happens in the IPL. But... Um, Look, I, I'm, I'm quite fortunate that the family here and you know, I've got quite a bit of normality. It's just like any normal tour that I'd go on. Um, but the grind does get hard when you start travelling every other day to a different place in India and, and moving around. I think our big travelling um, sort of circus sort of comes up in a... starts in about a week's time where I think we've got four, four trips in the space of 10 days or something like that. Um, so that, that's where our grind's going to get hard. But look, I don't, I don't think it's much different to any other tour that you go on with a national team or anything like that. Um, you know, we're, we're fortunate in the IPL that you've got a base. Normally, when you're on a national team, you've got no base. So if you travel, for example, through the UK, every time you move, you have to take everything with you and pack up as though you're going home. Whereas with the IPL, you've always got a base to come back to. You travel from Bangalore, you leave a bag behind with stuff that you don't need. So you only have to pack light. Um, so it's pretty easy to travel around in that respect. What what becomes tiresome, I guess, is the, is the actual travel itself. If you travel from here to Kolkata, it's only a two-and-a-half-hour flight away, but it's probably an hour, an hour to the airport, 45 minutes at the airport. At the other end, you've got half an hour at the airport, plus another hour to get to the hotel, then the check-in stuff. So, you know, it's pretty much a full day of travel, even though the flight's only two-and-a-half hours. So that, that starts kind of grinding. Look, it's just a part of the job, really, and you, and you get used to it. And most of the guys are pretty used to it now. Everyone's got an iPad, an iPhone, a, um, you know, a laptop, magazines, books, um, plenty of rubbish to speak about. Everyone's pretty <laughs> armed for these sorts of trips. Um, Noise-cancelling headphones and a lot of sleep to catch up on. So, it's... so uh, how does it affect uh, your ability to train? Um, number one, what is the level of intensity, the amount of time, uh, the way you train different from, say, when, uh, you know, uh, when you were representing uh, Victoria or uh, Australia or Netherlands, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a very different sort of dynamic. 
with the IPL. There's two within each team. There's kind of two teams uh, for one of a better sort of way to explain it. Um, you've got your playing eleven, and then the guys who are outside your playing eleven, and both of them train completely different. Your playing eleven play so much that they hardly ever need to train. Um, you know, the bowlers especially, the, the workloads such that they're playing, they need, they need you know a day off or something after after a game. So they're not going to go and train and bowl flat out at, at a training session. So training for them is very different to someone like myself who just through matter of circumstance and sort of team balance, I'm not playing at all. So I'm my training regime is a lot different to theirs because I'm using those training sessions as my big hit out. So you just find that the, the you know, the way the way the team trains is, is very different. And and you know, when you're with a national team you're training with maybe even when you're touring most you're probably travelling with is fifteen people. But at the IPL we've got thirty something in our squad. So plus you you know, twenty net bowlers who want to turn up every day. So it's a very different um, dynamic in that respect. You probably get more service as a player, meaning sort of more time training, more time being able to hold a bat and actually sit in the nets. You probably get more time in an IPL team because you've got so many net bowls and everything than you would with a national team. But yeah, in, in terms of training intensity and stuff, look, it's, it's what you make it. There are guys here who know they're not, not going to get a game and sort of treat it a lot different to people who are sort of 12, 13, 14 in a team who treat it very seriously and try to crack the, crack into the squad. So it's, you know, I, I guess what they do here is more leave it up to the, to the professional cricketer themselves rather than leave it up to the coach telling each person individually what they're going to do in a day. They they more leave it up to the individual to, to get out of the training session what they need to get out of. And um, that a lot of the time you find that kind of sorts the men from the boys as well. It sorts the people who want to play from the people who are really there just sort of showing up. Hmm. Um, this is actually a question from the listener, um, Shiva. Um, how do you handle the highs and lows? You know, one year you're the spearhead, and another season you don't even see the field. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's a, a tricky one. It's it's I'm going through a bit of a strange season here. It's not that I've um, I, I came from South Africa and I was uh, I was injured when I arrived, so I missed the first three games through injury. Um, and I was fit from then on. So I've been fit for the last, jeez, eight games, or I don't know how many games we've played now. What, nine? Oh, nine games. So I might have been fit for the last four or five. It's been quite strange, because when you're fit and you know you should be playing, but the the way the team is structured, the, the um, you know, certain parts of our, of our team aren't standing up. So you've got to load, for example, the batting. Mm-hmm. So we've got to load our batting up with international players to... to Make up for the for the runs that aren't coming at the, um, from the the local players, and that means that the international bowlers don't get a run. Um, so it's a very different situation to the IPLs that I've had in the past, and that's sort of through no fault of the team. That's through no fault really of of me. It's through no fault of anyone. It's just a circumstance. It means I'm not getting a game, um, and you know some people could get all fussed and kick up a fuss about it and argue and say I should be playing but really what you as a, as a team you're only trying to put your best team on the park at any time and, and at the moment the way you can only have four international players and you need seven Indians uh, mm-hmm. I 
can't fit into that team because we don't have the Indian batting depth at the moment to um, to allow me to play. I guess so. It's it's uh, an interesting situation. It's something that's very unique to the IPL in that respect um, because that four international playable. Um, but what do you do? Um, all I can do really is just keep sort of training and. If injuries or situation allows, I might get a game, or the, or the, the conditions allow, I, I might get a game. But at the moment, I'm uh, I'm just training away and, and trying the best I can. Yeah, I mean, looking from the outside, I think there is an obvious switch that needs to be made. Uh, but you know, we'll uh, let that uh, happen on its own time. I read an interview of yours that uh, you did with Ann Sims in South Africa when you were in South Africa. It was in uh, Sports Illustrated. And, um, you know, the article was Guns for Hire, and she was talking about the mercenary aspect of uh, players. In the intro, I mentioned you are somebody that has worn many colors now. Uh, what's your uh, take on it? You know, there is a lot of argument always over a club, over country, you know, and one of your teammates is a prime example of that, uh, Chris Gale. And then you have Kieran Pollard, Dwayne Bravo, uh, yourself, and all that. So, um Briefly, your uh, take on that uh, mercenary aspect. Oh, I can't even remember what, what I said in that interview. What was that interview? <laughs> uh, I don't have to quote you from that interview, but <laughs> go ahead, give your opinion. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'd say, but basically what you're wanting to know is the club versus country debate. Yeah. Um, you know, my take on it. Look, I'd, for people like myself, it's it's a... You get criticised a lot in the media for, for the choices you make, but you've got to appreciate things from the side of, of, of from the point of view of the, of the player. And, and for me, cricket is my business. That's my job. It's my, my, me staying on the park and me making money out of, out of cricket is my job, and it's my company, and it's the way I run my living. So um, I won't talk from my, my perspective, but let's talk about uh, Chris Gale, for example, and sort of the choices that he might make. I mean, he, he is a guy who's turned the IPL on its head. So, you know, if you think of a, a Gotham Gambier getting $2.4 million and, and stuff like that, here's a Chris Gale who, who signed up for some undisclosed sum. I've got no idea what it is, but let's say, for example, it's a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would... You know, why would someone like that want to go back and earn? You know, he's got his career's finite. Why would he want to go and earn a hundred thousand, if that, for the West Indies? You know, you've you've got to realise from the, the player's perspective that people have a finite career and that they need to go and make their money and pay for their house and pay for their family and everything like that. Then there is the club, the, the sort of the country debate, and yes, there is an obligation on people to go and play and and support the teams that they that supported them when they were young. Um, and Chris Gale's in a unique position because he's, you know, he's been arguing with the board. I, I don't even know what that's about um, <laughs> and what's happening. But it would take something quite extraordinary for uh, Chris Gale to want to play for a board that who he's not entirely happy for when he would... Not only would he be going and playing for a board that he's not overly happy with, and not only happy with the way he's been treated, but also he'd be losing this, uh, you know, million dollars that he's that he's losing from from going and playing for. While people can stand up and say these guys are, are choosing club over country, they're choosing the cash flow. What if these people can sit and ask themselves? You tell you what, million dollars to go and play in the IPL, 
or you can get $5,000 to go and play in the test match. And so many people would go and take the million dollars, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, there's so many more aspects, but it just, I, I, I find it quite uh, frustrating at times that people get sort of tainted by this um, club versus country debate. And I think it's slowly dissipating in cricket. I, you know, for my, for example, myself, I had to give away um, four-day cricket. I gave away one-day cricket and everything so I could prolong my career as long as I could. And that was purely because of my body. Um, I would... Probably the biggest regret that I will have in my career is not playing test cricket. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that I gave it up. I'm not saying that I gave up the chance to play test cricket or anything like that because I mm-hmm. think when I gave away first-class cricket, I was not a chance to play test cricket anymore. Um, I think that I was good enough in my prime to be able to play test cricket, but I just, you know, circumstance didn't, didn't get it to the point that I was picked at the right time or, or you know, ever got picked. I'm not saying that I never wanted to play cricket for, for test cricket for my country. That would have been probably my proudest achievement. But time has passed. I've had to give in four-day cricket because it was the only time I really was getting injured all the time. It was, was four-day cricket, so I gave that away. Then the next year I gave one-day cricket away to prolong playing 2020 cricket. And now I've got a great life with my family because I get to travel with them all the time, all around the world. Um, we spend probably seven or eight months of the year together. Um, and the rest of the time I'm playing 2020 competitions everywhere and having... I've, look, I've got a fantastic job. And I'm not going to apologise for a second for giving away my four-day cricket and giving away all that stuff that I played for my state. I'm not going to apologise for that at all because I'm having a great time. I've got a great job and I'm doing exactly what I think 99% of the population would do if they were in my shoes. Mm. So, it's, a, it's an interesting one, and I, I think as players, a lot of people cop, cop unnecessary grief for the choices they've made, when really if you take it in the player's shoes and you take the, the decision um, thinking about it from the player's perspective, I think that you know, the, major, the vast majority of the public would come up with the exact same decision um, as the player has. Um, probably one of the, the interesting ones at the moment and, and controversial ones for us at the moment is the decision of Michael Clark to go and play IPL after mm-hmm. he's been such a a huge opponent to anyone going and playing IPL cricket and was vocal in the media and has always been against IPL cricket and how it's bad for Australian cricket and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's come and changed change his tune and gone to play. IPL now, you know that's that's probably a decision that would take a little bit of explaining on his part. But um, you know that that's that's an interesting one. But again, he hasn't let that get in the way of his commitment to playing um, for Australia. You know, he hasn't given away playing for his country and stuff. That probably the if suddenly he starts getting burnt out, probably only then can you hmm. um, can people criticise his decision to play in the IPL. I mean that's fair enough. You know, I don't blame anyone making decisions, uh, you know, based on what they think is in their best interest. But uh, anyhow, um, you know, you, you're going to be um, 36 in a few days. Oh, in, in a lot of days, a lot of days, 14 days, I think. Yeah, two weeks. Let's not, let's not make me sound old. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, you know, 36 and you're a fast bowler. Um, um, I hope you continue for as long as you can. Uh, but do you have plans for post-retirement? And this is also a question from a listener, Grish. How do cricketers handle life? Usually cricketers are, you know, all focused on this thing. They're living in a bubble. And then suddenly one day they have to retire or for whatever reason, you know, because they're dropped or uh, injury or whatever. What is your perspective on this? Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting one. For me, personally, I see everyone, most cricketers are kind of done by the time they're my age or are kind of on the wane. See, I find that I'm a little bit different to everyone else because I've only sort of started cricket at 29. Mm-hmm. So I don't have those first sort of 10 or 12 years of, uh, you know, wear and tear on my body that other uh, other fast bowlers have. So I think I'm a sort of interesting test case in someone whose body's still quite fresh, yet old in the, in the body, but sort of young at the same time in mm-hmm. terms of, of wear and tear. So I think I'll be an interesting test case in that regard. But in, re- in regards to what um, I'm going to do when I finish or what cricketers do when they finish, I, I think I, I certainly think from an Australian point of view, um, through our cricketing association, like our basically our players' union, they've certainly been a very strong advocate of sorting out um, people's lives after cricket. I'm not sure what happens uh, in the subcontinent, but I, I know that a lot of cricketers are sort of sorted out for, the, for their next step. For me personally, I came into cricket knowing exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, when I finish my cricketing career, I know now that I have absolutely no idea what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I've kind of gone backwards. When I first started cricket, I knew I wanted to go and work in, the, in, the, in my ski and snowboard company and mm-hmm. run that. But now I've kind of gone through cricket. I don't really want to do it anymore. Um, kind of lost the love for it and, and want to do something else. So um, partway through a law degree, but I don't know if I want to finish that. I'm writing a little bit here and there, but I don't know if I really want to do that. Um, I'd love to get into law, but I'm kind of scared of doing the uh, 70-hour weeks when you first finish law. Mm-hmm law school and kind of get into law, I'm scared of those sort of 70-hour <laughs> weeks, which, you know, a 25-year-old 20, person can give because they don't have a family. But with a young family, it's difficult to give 70 hours a week to a new job and give away all that time that I want to, I want to spend with my family. So I don't know if I want to finish that. I don't know if I want to coach. I, I, I like coaching, so I might go into that. I don't know. Um, a lot of unknowns for me, but... I'm uh, pretty well-educated, well so I think I'll uh, find my feet in something. And um, I think most of the guys around me as well are going to find them, find their feet somewhere because I think a lot of people these days sort of have a pretty good grip on on what they want to do or, or they have a pretty good sort of progression mapped out for them. Where is the saxophone in all this? Saxophone? <laughs> <laughs> um, I picked up my well. I went to university as soon as I left school. I went to university playing saxophone, and that was what I wanted to do for geez, all, all through my school, my high school. That's all I wanted to do was play saxophone. Um, I went to university for a year after I finished school. That was '94, mm-hmm. and it made me hate saxophone. I haven't picked it up since. <laughs> so. 
this talk of me being the, uh, the virtuoso or <laughs> whatever it is. Maybe I was okay back then, but um, I haven't played. Well, I pick it up. I've still got my saxophones, but I haven't picked them up. Oh, jeez, my, my kids might have heard me play saxophone <laughs> four times. I reckon my boy's six. Shows you how uh, how little I've I've played. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, on that note, uh, Derek, thanks so much for uh, giving me the time, and uh, it was an absolute pleasure and honor talking to you. And I uh, hope uh, we get to see you on the field uh, as soon as possible. And good luck in the uh, T20 World Cup that's coming up. Ah, if I play, if I play, maybe we need to have some sort of a you know a big. Uh campaign to get me speaked. Maybe that's what we need. You're an absolute rock star on the social networks anyway, so I'm sure we can ha- make it happen. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Alright, thanks a lot, Mike. No problem. Pleasure. Cheers. Couch Talk.